Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Building Security in the Next Decade podcast. I'm Sammy Miguez. And I'm Drew Kilborn. Together, we have about 60 years of experience in the software and security spaces. This is where we talk with industry leaders about the cybersecurity challenges waiting for all of us just over the horizon. Today, it's our very great pleasure to introduce our friend, Gary McGraw. Gary is co-founder of the Berryville Institute of Machine Learning. He's a globally recognized authority on software security and the author of eight best-selling books on that topic. His titles include Software Security, Exploiting Software, Building Secure Software, Java Security, Exploiting Online Games, and six other books. And he's the editor of the Addison Wesley Software Security Series. The good Dr. McGraw here has also written over 100 peer-reviewed scientific publications. He serves on the advisory boards of Calypso AI, Legit, Erius Risk, Max My Interest, Protopia AI, Red Sift, and Secure Code Warrior. He served as a board member of Sigital and Codescope and as an advisor to CodeDX, Black Duck, Dacian, Fortify Software, and Invotus, all of which got acquired, just saying. Gary produced the monthly Silver Bullet Security Podcast for IEEE Security and Privacy Magazine for 13 years. Gary's dual PhD is in Cognitive Science and Computer Science from Indiana University, where he still serves on the Dean's Advisory Council for the Luddy School of Information Computing and Engineering. Gary, it's really great to have you with us here today. It's my pleasure. Hi, guys. Nice to talk to you again. <clears throat> Same here. It's been too long, Gary. We got to do this more often, man. So why don't we jump into things here? So uh, this podcast is about looking back a little bit, but looking forward a lot, trying to figure out what people are doing in this cyberspace. So why don't we kick it off with this? If you look back, let's say five to seven years, what do you think the biggest innovation has been that has gotten us to where cybersecurity is today? <laughs> uh, I don't know, ransomware? Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> I know you weren't expecting me to say some sort of It's of hard to say you're wrong. Out. Yeah, it's hard to say you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to rephrase that question, what kind of progress have we made in five or seven years? I think the biggest important shift, which is still, frankly, underway, is the shift to uh, DevOps or DevSecOps or Sexy DevOps or whatever. Sammy, how many syllables did that one talk that you did? That <laughs> Vertical like, integration, man. DevSecOps, yeah. Comp, Legal, HR, GRC. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. It's like being a startup, you just wear all of the hats. Mm -hmm. um, but more specifically, the notion that development should be in charge of not just security, but also infrastructure and also platform and you know all of these other things is very interesting. It leads to some speed as we run ourselves straight off the edge of the world. So, yeah, but we got to go back to that other one because I, I like that first answer too. So would you say that um, the bad things that put lack of security in our face has been one of the um, inflection points, that's not quite right, has been, you know, one of the accelerators for where cybersecurity is today versus 
the good things that have helped us, you know, the, the process and technology that has helped us do the right thing. Did the bad thing help us do the right thing better than the availability of the right thing? I knew I'd get there. Uh, that's, a, of course, a Sammy statement, so I'm not sure how to parse it, but it's pretty not bad. <laughs> so, so the so so what I would say is um, the fact of the matter is because of ransomware, a lot of more people, a lot more human beings on planet Earth know about cybersecurity and have sadly um, experienced it firsthand. So instead of you know, maybe a hundred thousand people thinking about cybersecurity. We have millions, um, and that's because the bad um, downside aspects of not doing security properly are becoming, you know, fundamentally much clearer than they used to be. Now, a lot of us have been saying that for years. Hey, here it comes. Hey, you know, we need to build security in because if we don't, um, we're adopting this stuff so fast that we're going to have security risk everywhere. And indeed, um, we do. Uh, the good news is that in the meantime, we've also made some great progress on security technology. Um, and the best security technology is invisible. Um, security technology and authentication, for example, or authorization and access control. We've made a vast amount of progress on network security, um, all of which requires a solid foundation of software security to build that network security technology properly. Mm -hmm. But it didn't exist even 25 years ago. Remember, Marcus Raynham uh, wrote that firewall toolkit that we built Sigital's first firewall little sister out of a million years ago. So my view, believe it or not, as a retired curmudgeon security professional who's been doing this for more than 30 years, is that we are in fact making progress uh, and we're moving in the right direction. And I think that a lot of corporations are now um, busy applying software security in ways that in the past, they just thought that would be a good idea when they get around to it. Um, but today they're really doing it and they're adopting things very quickly. So I'm just pleased as punch at how much progress we've made in software security. Um, in the time that that I've been around watching the security space evolve. No, I think you're you're right on on point, Gary. I mean, we definitely see it uh, out in the market that that so many companies that weren't concerned about this in the past, you know, are now. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing that people are starting to get their arms around it. So let me dig a little deeper. I mean, I know you focus probably for about the last five years heavily on AI. Yep. We want to talk about AI a little bit today, kind of pick That's your brain great. on that. I've got a couple threads to go down. So if you if you look forward, now let's look forward five to seven years, right? Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenges are with securing our AI systems that we're building all over the place? Well, this is not going to surprise you at all because it's just a variation on the same old tune. But my opinion is design. We have got to think about security risk and flaws when we build these systems, including AI systems. And my work in machine learning security has focused like a laser on identifying risks in the technology stack itself. 
But beyond that, there's sort of a sociological risk I'd like to point out that I think is already playing out. And in five to seven years, it's going to be even worse than ever. So this is kind of a quasi prediction. Have you guys heard of the term the Eliza effect? No, no. I mean, I know of Eliza, but not this. Okay, so so there's a guy named uh, Feigenbaum who wrote uh, AI program in 1966, the year I was born called Eliza. Mm -hmm. And Eliza was supposed to be a therapist, but really it was just a keyword search. So you would say mom and it would go, oh, that's very interesting. You're talking about mom. Tell me more about mom. Um, and it did this kind of Roger, I think it's Roger's kind of um, psychoanalysis moves, mostly asking for more information. But it was good enough to fool a lot of people into thinking that it was an actual therapist. And this was in 1966, um, well before things like large language models and chat GPT and all the stuff we see in the news today were beginning to emerge. Um, people would like to believe that machines can think. Now, all of the spectacular results with, uh, I don't know, AlphaGo and protein folding and chat GPT and Dolly and all of these other systems that are doing auto-associated predictive generation, um, all of that aside, we've not really made that much progress towards general AI at all. We do not have any machines that understand anything. And yet people ascribe understanding to these systems with impunity all the time. The press is just, you know, they can't get enough of saying how smart things are and how all the developers are going to be replaced and then all the executives and then all the lawyers and then none of us will have to work. We'll just have to drink milkshakes all day and sit on a starship. <laughs> Star Trek, man. It's Star Trek. I love it. Yeah, it's more, more like WALL-E. But, but, the, <laughs> but, the, but the, the fact of the matter is um, that that is a huge risk because if we believe these machines do understand things and they understand them better than we do. They can uh, design things better than we can. They can build systems that are better than the ones that we can build. We're going to be in deep, deep trouble indeed. Uh, and so we have to take a skeptical look as security professionals at not only the technology stack itself, how we build these systems, the data that we use to train them up, um, and how we operationalize all that stuff, but also the implications to society who really just desperately wants to believe in artificial intelligence in the same way that everybody who's driving by a car crash on the highway wants to take a look. Um, and that's a risk that I think I've been talking a lot about lately uh, in meetings in, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking about machine learning security around the world, uh, it's coming and everything we learned in software security and everything that we applied is incredibly useful mm -hmm. in taking a philosophical approach to machine learning security. But the number one lesson and the number one thing we still have got to get right in software security is design. How do we do threat modeling? How do we do architecture risk analysis? What is a flaw versus a bug? And how do we do good, solid security engineering? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we probably have 84 more questions about security, but let, let me take a tangent for a second and, and, and go back to the society part. Mm -hmm. So 
I can imagine that uh, some AI systems are going to replace um, people who are mostly functional. We we expect them to make mistakes. They do some stuff. Let's say you know you're very junior programmer. You're um, your person who's working the first day on the line in an assembly plant or something like that. And we're going to mm -hmm. start putting all the knowledge we have into an AI system, whether it's animated as a robot or not. And so we will replace junior people that we expect to make mistakes with the accumulated knowledge that we were able to put into an engine, a neural net or whatever. Now, just posit that. We okay, normally... you're gonna, you're making me posit something that is harder than people believe. So, oh, okay. We'll pretend that's going to happen. Okay, you... so let's let's pretend that's going to happen. <laughs> now, we normally get senior people from junior people. That's where mm -hmm. we get senior developers. We we yeah. we we watch junior developers. We water them. We feed them. They grow up. We get senior developers. Yeah, it's one not... day they and then one day they put down their keyboard, pick up a dry erase marker and they become architects. Architects, yes. 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 Never but, to code again. But they did code for at least 10 years, usually. But it, but if we start making junior developers, junior writers, junior mm -hmm. lecturers, junior press people, if we start making them AI, where are all the senior people going to come from? Well, you sound like a Luddite to me, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that's that's a big problem. Okay. Um, and reason the reason I don't is because in terms of coding, for example, replacing the humans who code is, in my view, much harder than replacing the humans who drive trucks. And I'll tell you why. Though coding is a discipline with very strict syntax rules. Um, the idea of designing a piece of software is really, really important. And all of the automation that we've seen to date, um, all of it, including Copilot, is based on just taking a look at a vast quantity of code, good, bad, sideways, or otherwise, stored on GitHub. And so, you know, if you believe that you can learn how to code by just reading a bunch of code off of GitHub, I got it. You got another thing coming. Mm -hmm. um, so so I don't think we're going to be replacing um, developers anytime soon. And I think that the people that are talking about replacing developers are just uh, a little bit out in front of their skis in terms of the progress we've made in, in artificial intelligence. On the other hand, um, you know, driving a truck on an interstate is not so hard. Um, now, backing a truck up and docking a truck and avoiding traffic and trying to predict what stupid humans are going to do in front of you are all problems that remain to be solved. But I think that truck drivers are going to be replaced well before coders. Yeah. Um, and I do believe we've made progress in um, thinking about how to organize knowledge and how to build incredible statistical associations that we would never have guessed or even there using massively distributed systems and enormous training regimens. Um, but we haven't gotten to understanding yet.
Uh, hmm. And we're not really approaching it um, in, in any way that I see. So it's going to be a while before general AI does all the things that, that it would need to do to replace all of the new people coming out of college. So Gary, <clears throat> let's take a look at, at, you know, what you've touched on as we look at these systems, you know, we can secure the design, we can bring in experts to do things like ARA and threat modeling to make sure design was done correctly. We can scan written code, right, with different systems, static analysis, dynamic analysis to make sure we don't have security flaws in it. So yep. we can do all that stuff to the built AI system, but how do you deal with the data that trains it, right? I mean, well, that's, how that's do you know that data is good or bad and that data can excellent. completely send it sideways, right? That is it, Drew. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, in my view, uh, the big insight about these large language models or um, even, you know, big neural networks that do other things is that they are the data they were trained on. So the machine becomes the data. Yes. And then that, you know, behooves that we ask the question, well, where did those data come from? What's in there? Is that what we wanted to learn? Is it learning the right stuff? These are all things we don't know right now. Um, and in fact, a number of attacks that we identified and risks that we identified in machine learning systems are related directly to the data set that, that the machines are trained on. Um, and not only do we have subtle things like, uh, I don't know, institutional racial bias or xenophobic bias or um, sexist bias in these data sets, but we also have things that are confidential that we don't want out there in the world mm -hmm. that uh, a statistical auto-associative generator is going to learn automatically when you train it up. Um, and so we have notions of data confidentiality. Not only do, do we have to worry about where the data come from and whether or not we've preserved data integrity, but we also gen, then have to realize that some of those data we want to protect. And so these are the questions that I've been working on. I think that there are a number of commercial um, startups in the AI space that are focused on these issues of data protection. One of them is one um, that I advise, you mentioned them before, Protopia AI. And um, that kind of notion of how do we protect these data that we want to remain confidential while we still take advantage of this technology um, are critical questions to making um, machine learning useful for everybody. Um, so we can enable better machine learning application by building um, better machine learning data protection technology. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the sort of thing we need to do. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have to figure out how to hack the system. I can just figure out how to feed a bad data. It's kind of like, I don't have yep. to figure out how to attack the electric grid. I could just go shoot up substations with a gun. It's yeah, easy, I mean, right? It's, and the, and the, yeah. data, the data, in my view, um, my studied view, account for about 60% of the kind of risks that we're worried about. Wow. So if you take a look at the top, I don't know, five risks of machine learning security, I mean, I can just cover those real quick. Sure. Pull out my notes and make sure I get them right. Um, the first one is one we've all, all heard about called um, adversarial examples. But what those of us in security really think it is, is uh, malicious input. 
So mm -hmm. believe it or not, malicious input applies directly to, to these problems. Um, number two is data poisoning. You know, what if I change the data in subtle ways and teach the machine the wrong thing, just like you mentioned, Drew? Number three is online manipulation of a system that continues to learn even after it's fielded. The most spectacularly fun example of that is Tay, the Twitter bot that Microsoft stuck on Twitter for a while, uh, actually for about a day before yeah. it became uh, an incredible troll and such an asshole that Microsoft's still embarrassed about it and turned it off. Um, number four is transfer learning, um, where we take a machine that has learned to do one thing and we train it up a little bit more to do something slightly different. But whenever we do that, we drag along all of the stuff that all of the risk that the first model applied. So if you think about GPT, for example, mm -hmm. chat GPT, all yeah. of the risk in chat GPT has been dragged kicking and screaming into every system where we're applying chat GPT. Right. And number five is data confidentiality. And that is only five. You know, when we train up, say, a neural network on classified data or GDPR protected data, is the network supposed to, you know, be protected by GDPR after that? Mm -hmm. Or is it supposed to be classified? Does it become high? Like, who knows? <laughs> Nobody knows what the answers to those questions are. And that's just five of the 78 risks that we've identified at BIML um, in my work, you know, in the last five years. Very cool. That I mean, yeah. So, I, again, I have another sort of eye to the sky kind of question, because um, I'm really interested in your opinions on, on these kinds of things. Um, so do you foresee a time relatively nearby, whatever it might be, where organizations are really bringing AI in-house? Um, I, I, I hesitate to name a company, but just, you know, a big yes. integrator, a big defense contractor. You yes, know. They, are, they, already, they already are, Sammy. Okay. Every single bank that you guys have serviced for years, and I helped you service back in the digital days, um, all of them have people working with machine learning every day. And so the idea that machine learning is not here yet is just wrong. It's mostly hidden. Now, public-facing machine learning interfaces that involve large language models are something that's going to happen next, um, and it's going to be interesting. Um, but we're not going to stop machine learning from happening. We mm -hmm. can't kind of Luddite our way out of this and throw wrenches into the works. Instead, we have to say, hey, as we adopt this technology, let's keep our eyes open and let's um, manage security risk appropriately. Uh, so I think that, you know, machine learning is is very widespread already and you ain't seen nothing yet. It's kind of like the way software spread through everything. Remember when that happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember. And everybody said, you know, in two more years, we won't have to write any more code. It will all be written. All the software <laughs> we'll ever need. That was uh -huh. 40 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's it's just going to, it's going to work its way into everything, just like software is the lifeblood of modern business. Um, machine learning will likewise 
work its way deeply into all aspects of business over the next decade. Okay. All right. So we've talked a little bit about securing AI systems. Let's flip this kind of on its head a little bit. As you look forward to the next five to seven years, can you see how AI could be leveraged to actually help us secure software? Absolutely. I mean, we 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 still have a big open problem in securing software, which I've alluded to, and I'm going to say it just you know straightforwardly right now, which is we've got to figure out how to automate threat modeling. We have to do that. Yeah. Um, and to the extent that we make progress automating that, we can begin to put that technology to use in machine learning, um, with machine learning. Uh, now, there's no reason why we can't teach a machine learning system how to scan code better using existing code scanning technology, but doing things like ranking the bugs and determining whether or not you can reach a bug and all sorts of other stuff that we expect analysts to do today. Um, and I, you know, any code scanning technology company that's not working on that is way the hell behind right mm -hmm. now. Uh, so as we take these problems on, there are going to be ways that we can enhance their current approach using machine learning. And that's what's going to happen first. Okay. So, I, you know, I guess kind of a personal question. You can certainly tell me you can't or don't want to answer. Is there a, um, is there a, build, a building secure AI book in your thinking? I, you know, I have, I have enough information in my brain to write a book right now, but I don't feel like writing a book because I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> so, so your large language model has the information. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we need to give you the right prompt in, in order for you to spit the information out as 150 pages of book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the 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 field of what some people call adversarial AI, like Microsoft calls it that, and other people call machine learning engineering, uh, sorry, machine learning security, which is what I call it, MLSEC. The these um, this subfield has grown a lot. You know, I can I can name ten or fifteen companies that are already have machine learning security people on staff working on this. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of back in the days when we saw software security groups first emerge, like what, 20 years ago now? Yeah. Uh, and and we could count them all. I used to keep a list of all of them in my, in my desk. And I can do that same list for machine learning security right now. It feels very much to me like the software security field did 25 years ago. So, um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff that needs to be written down about this. There are some very very good researchers. The the um, scientific literature grows daily. Um, we have a resource on the BIML website uh, called um, I think references. So if you go to BIML BarryvilleIML.com slash references, you'll see an annotated bibliography where we've read. I probably over 200 papers. I haven't really counted them lately. Um, and we have a snide remark about each paper and we sort of rank them. We have the top five that you should read if you're getting started in the field. But every week we read two or three more papers and we add those onto the annotated bibliography because the field is expanding and growing and, and we need the the youngins to start working on it. So um yeah. 
you, you know, the, it's it's pretty amazing uh, what's going on out there. It's somewhat invisible to most of the general populace and even technologists, um, but it's getting big fast. Yeah. So I so la, la, last question that's sort of a little bit of a tangent away from the security aspects. From your vantage point, do you see or do you see a path towards? Um, I'll just call it data hoarding. If 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 models are built on data and yeah. everybody has the data, like yeah. you know, the internet time machine, then anybody can build chat GPT in theory. Yeah, um, but it costs twelve and a half million dollars to build that. By well, the way. you know, the there's there's a lot of oligarchs world yeah. worldwide who might be willing to spend $12 million to have an AI that allows them to keep being an oligarch. But, That's true. But just who do you think who, who do you think's funding open AI? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Easy now. Okay. But, but just in the short term, I think about, you know, the, the, the people who have all of our financial data, the people yeah. who have all of our medical data, you know, if they start, I hate to say it this way, but if they start choosing sides, then, you know, do I have to go to hospital A because their AI was trained so much better from hospital yeah. B? You, you already do, Sammy. I mean, I don't think you probably consider it, but I would rather go to a hospital that uses Epic software than uh, McKesson, mm. frankly. And that's just a personal choice, knowing what I know about the technology piles and what's modern and what's a piece of junk. And so that's the sort of thing that you, you know, that that you kind of you can sort of pick up. Now there is an interesting wrinkle here, and that is that um, you can take a trained model and extract the knowledge out of it. That's a pretty well known kind of attack, um, data extraction. And so um, protecting data is from being reversed. And, you know, so, sorry, protecting machine learning systems from being reversed and spitting out all the data they learned is a, is a thing that we're working on. There's no solution to that right now. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Cool. I had not thought about that. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like when you take yeah. your kid with you to church yeah. and they yell out some secret. You didn't want anybody to know. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, so Gary, you keep saying that you're retired, man, but you're on like a half a dozen boards of companies <laughs> and you're running this small little AI company out of Berryville. I mean, what motivates you to get up every day and keep doing this stuff and working in this space? Oh God, it's fun, Drew. You know, I'm, it's going to be the same for you, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to retire as well as I have. Um, you know, basically uh, I get to follow my nose. I, I, I'm my own boss again. I'm doing whatever I feel like doing. Um, and I'm taking some of the things I learned over the last 30 years in technology and helping young companies get from, you know, $8 million top line to 80, which is what I'm good at. Uh, and and it's been uh, a delight to work with people who are actually listening strategically about what to do and, and how to grow um, while keeping an uh, eye on the very, very edge of technology, which I think right now is machine learning. Uh, and I'm just having a great time. Well, so, I'm I'm glad that you're doing it because we need people like you in the field doing it without a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to wrap it up. I mean, Gary, can't thank you enough for being a guest today. I'm certain that people have learned a lot about AI. That's for sure. We did. 
uh, and super helpful. And look forward to seeing you uh, at a watering hole of your choice, hopefully soon. Yeah. How about Drew's living room? Yeah. We, that can be arranged. <laughs> that can be arranged. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pleasure to chat with you both. And I am super pleased that you are still pushing the limits of software security and thinking about the next 10 years. So more power to you. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Man.